0: I am beyond excited to be partnering with Taste of London, the city's biggest and best food and drink festival for this special four-part series. Bringing together some of the best restaurants, bars and superstar chefs of London for five days of feasting in Regent's Park, you get up close and personal some of your favourites at wonderful immersive experiences such as the Diners Club Cook School, Fire Pit with Food Network and a whole host of masterclasses, wine tastings, and so much more. So, what's stopping you? Book your tickets for the festival, which is on from the 15th to the 19th of June, and you may even get a chance to see yours truly. Use my code SEXYFOOD to get a complimentary premium bottled cocktail from Tales with every ticket. Book now at tasteoflondon.com Hello and welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, food experts, chefs and people who just love their food to find out all about their life, career and their favourite tastes along the way. Today I'm joined by Vivek Singh the man, brains and chef behind some of the best Indian food around. As the CEO and executive chef of The Cinnamon Collection, Vivek has five restaurants around the world, six cookbooks and is a regular face on TV as well as at Taste of London. Born and raised in West Bengal, India, Vivek grew up to the taste, smell and sight of his mother cooking four meals a day. This in turn influenced him in his future as a chef. It's such a pleasure to be with the man himself at the Cinnamon Club in London to find out all about his incredible life and food. Vivek, welcome to Crazy Sexy Food.
1: Thank you very much indeed, (laughs) thank you. Thank you so
0: much for hosting me today. It's so wonderful to be here in real life. How are you?
1: Very well indeed. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely.
0: Well, you are the taste legend, so <laughs> it would that. only seem right. So I always start my conversations with asking you, what did you have for breakfast today?
1: Ah, oh, right. <laughs>
0: we're going right in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we, we're going right in. Well, oh, I've had my usual, I just had my one cup of masala tea with sugar. And that's all I have for breakfast. I don't have breakfast. I'm not a breakfast man.
0: It's so funny, Vivek. Every chef I speak speak to to. does not eat breakfast. Why is that?
1: I don't know. It's a lifestyle thing. It's probably, you know, just being up until really late in the night. And and part of the, you know, I call it the occupational hazard. (laughs) We often end up eating dinner really late. You know, way past 10 o'clock. Sometimes closer to midnight. And I just think I try to... I don't know why, but I, I try to compensate that by by just having you know, going through a longer period of the day. And nowadays it's the same thing too, intermittent fasting, is it not?
0: Very fashionable, very darling. Fashionable. Very fashionable. <laughs> and your masala chai—is this something that you have made yourself, or do you use something that's already sort of been pre-created? No, created? no, uh, you <laughs> made, made it yourself. It's and you what's know. what's what's your secret? What's uh, the recipe? M-
1: m- mine is very, very simple. It's, it doesn't have half a dozen spices or anything. It. <laughs> it just has cardamom and ginger. I right? oh, just wow. boil the hell out of them okay. both in the water before I add my tea bags.
0: Oh, okay, lovely. Um, And as I said in the intro, we are recording from the famous Cinnamon Club. And I have to say, I think I've been here, but I'm not sure. (laughs) So I need to call my parents after this to ask them, because I was wondering if you were going to ask me if I'd been before. And I feel like I walked in and I sort of, you know, when you sort of, have a feeling that you've been somewhere. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not Déjà sure. Vu. I may have
0: come back. I may have come here in the early days. So I'm going to ask my mum afterwards.
1: You may well have been. Who knows? You know, Who knows? Much like, mu- you know, much like most of the <laughs> political, <laughs> yeah, exactly, glitterati. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'd like to believe that you know, in the last 21 odd years of the Cinnamon Club being around, I think it it has it must have played a huge part in the recent history of Britain. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: And would you say yeah. I don't want to use the word favorite, but obviously this is your baby. You know, this was yeah. this was the first place you opened up Correct. in the UK. Correct. Is this sort of like is this your sort of your special place?
1: Yes, in many ways. I mean, it is special in more ways than one. It's a sp- a special, obviously, for the room that we're mm. in. You know, you can feel it. Um, the fact that it is so understated. You know, you you can walk past this <laughs> place. I mean, we serve. Quite a lot of people, you know, between 90 to 100,000 people a year. Been going for, wow. Yeah, between, you know, we've been going for 21 years. I mean, that's a fair few meals we've cooked and knocked about in this kitchen. And yet, I love the fact that, you know, even as uh, you know, recent as two or three years ago, we were one of the world's top discoveries. So still a discovery after 21 years. That's I love incredible. that. I love the fact that, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a bit of, you know, it's, it's so different. It just, when you come in here, So the room is one thing. The food and what we were trying to do with this 20, 21 odd years ago seems pretty insane now. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, it's just a combination of everything. You think, you know, it's, it's a very special place. I, you know, I wouldn't go as far as saying this is my favorite restaurant, my favorite menu, and all that, because I think that all of that is a little bit of a, you know, it's a, uh, it's been a journey, to say the very least, and I've loved every bit of it. Um, you know, the, whether it's the books or the TV or the other restaurants that we, you know, we've had and uh, many that we've opened, some few that we've closed. But yeah. you know, it's all been it's been it's all been a great journey. Yeah.
0: And I think that's all part of the story, isn't yeah. it? There's always going to be ups and downs and successes and failures, and that's still the failures are still part of the successes, oh, yeah. right? You know, we oh,
1: really great learning are we? Oh, you know, totally, amazing, amazing.
0: totally. So before we sort of get to present day and talk a little bit about Taste of London, which yeah. is coming up, I wanted to take it back to your childhood. So yeah. you were born and raised in West Bengal yes. in um, a place called Asanol. Is that, a- the, is that the correct?
1: Asanol. Asanol, yeah. there yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I want to know what life was like growing up. I want to know what you were eating, who was cooking. How did food play a part in your life?
1: Um, I, I, I'll tell you all about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, growing up in Asanol was... As different as one can imagine uh, now, of course, you know I, 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 I don't know if places like that exist anymore, but my dad used to run a coal mine, uh, a colliery, that felt like, and, and in many ways was, the end of the world. I mean, the, the road just finished there. There wasn't anywhere else to go from there. It was such a destination. It was a really small um, colliery, about 500 families, you know, so, you know, call it a thousand people. This was small you know mm-hmm. just but he was the mine he was the uh the colliery manager, so we you know ours was the biggest house a you know, big big ground in front of us um very often, and it was really remote, very very remote i mean in seven nineteen seventy six so nineteen seventy seven, whenever it was the first black and white TV that came in was a communal TV, not mm-hmm. not individual, but a communal TV that you know my dad would spend hours in Tried front of his office it. trying to tune it. Exactly. <laughs> and the entire colliery and there'd be hundreds of people just sat on bricks in the in the in the playground, just you know, waiting for something to turn up oh my, and it's all of that. Um, but yes it was a very closed community, very small. Um uh, and a complete end of the world. Um, we didn't have a market. The nearest market was about five kilometers away. Um, the entire colliery had sort of one ambulance and one jeep, uh, and you know, it was just really, really small. And uh, the school for me and for us, my brothers and sisters, was <laughs> 15 kilometers into, you know, away. So we were kind of, you know, we'd we'd take a vehicle, go somewhere, change, and get into a bus, a school bus, and take us there. Whatever. It was a full-on thing. Um, the town itself, this the, what well, we call it, town, the city, whatever, uh, Asansol was a really important um, in, industrial town. Uh, it was possibly the second largest city after Calcutta in okay. Bengal. Okay. Quite, quite, quite big. And I don't know why and how, but it was. It had. Um, it was quite an important railway station. We had a massive. Uh, I don't know how and why again, but. Lots of Christian schools and lots of, uh, you know, it was a very active sort of Anglo-Indian and, and Christian community. A very big market, lots of schools. Um, so I went to an Irish Brothers uh, Christian school. Um, and um, and we'd live 14 kilometers away in this colliery which was so, so tiny and so small. Um, and so it meant, and then this is also before, I mean, there was. I think there was. If I recall correctly, there was one telephone in the colony that was in my dad's office. Wow. Not one in, in in home either. So, in the days, I you know, I, I clearly remember people. So we. I mean, everything we did was within that community. Whether it was a holy or a Diwali or a Christmas or a Republic Day or uh, Independence Day or whatever, everything was celebrated, you know, in that community. Very often. We'll end up with you know people starting to play Holi or Diwali, whatever, celebrating whatever they're celebrating in their little pockets, and then eventually the entire colliery would kind of descend in in our front garden, in our front of the Lord, um, and and we'd have you know hundreds of people. They'd be just, and my parents would be organizing this, or so, you know it'd be people would be coming together and helping cook, do that, and and, and not just on special occasions. I, I also remember. My mom used to pretty, pretty much cook for us. We didn't have a refrigerator in the house until I think early 1980s. So, you know, good, good nine years of my life, I remember her pretty much just managing this whole thing. She'd have to get the fire going. We used to, she used to cook on coal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you, you had to have this sort of, it was a bit like cooking on agar. You always yeah, had yeah. to start, yeah. you know? <laughs> You had to, you know, have the next meal kind of, you know, in your head. Yeah. So it was a when lot of you were
0: prep and forward <laughs> thinking. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And and you know, so it was. Uh, she'd always been cooking um, two, three, sometimes even four dishes for every meal. You know, so a rice, a lentil, some kind of bread, bread a vegetable, perhaps a chutney if she was feeling generous. So four or five things mm. for every meal period. And she was cooking that continuously breakfast and then, you know, a bit of tidy up and then lunch and then tidy up and or a siesta or whatever and then afternoon you know, or, or afternoon tea or some snacks then or and then dinner. So she was forever cooking. She was forever cooking, even if it's just us. Mm. Um and so this whole thing, this was a bit of a logistic, you know, once a week we'd get lamb or chicken or whatever. And that would have to come from this market five kilometers away, whatever. Um, and it was all kind of freshly just slaughtered, you know, it, it had to be, you know, it was the thing of, a. you know, it was a planning thing. Uh, if you ran out of vegetables, you didn't have anywhere to go. I mean, you, you may have somebody passing by who's selling, uh, you know, some vegetables and you just buy them, whatever, whatever they've got. I mean, it was just the whole, the logistics of it. And she was doing this day in, day out. We never, realized how much competence that takes we definitely didn't realize think it was that special mm. because everybody was doing that and um, anyway, so we, we grew up that around that very often I'd kind of I you know we, the, my dad would go into the uh, mine early in the morning he'd come back in the afternoon he'll have a shower whatever whatever he would have his lunch then he had it he had a regime that was just not to be messed about with. <laughs> he'd then have a siesta and then he'd get up and you know, about 3.30 he'd have his tea and then he'd get dressed up and go to the office, uh, do some paperwork or whatever it was in the evening, he'd come back, then he will have dinner. And everything had to be just pretty clockwork. And very often, uh, and his, his thing was, he, he would never be woken up from his siesta no matter what happened, unless obviously something really. Um, <laughs> every now and again, the doorbell rang and he was having his siesta. and you know, somebody will go and open the door, and you'd find some relatives who've <laughs> just been travelling three days. You know, they've travelled. Just showed up. They have just showed up, <laughs> showed up. Because this is before before the days of television. Play oh, up. sorry, we are, I mean, telephones and uh, whatever. And and very often they wouldn't even bother to send you a telegram or something saying, you know, we, you, you can expect us. Or no, no, these turn up, and two or three people have turned up from the village, from his village. Um, and, you know, it's about 3.30 in the afternoon. My mom's just cleaned up the kitchen after, oh a, you know, lunch, whatever. He'd be looking at her saying, well, he'd ask them, have you eaten? And they said, no. How long have you been travelling? They said, three days. I said, okay. Then he'd look at her. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> there then she's going. back in. And then she's back in, you or? know. She's she's slicing away some potatoes. She's making a very spicy, uh, depending on how much potato she has, she's making a really spicy potato curry and, then, and some deep-fried puris, you know. Uh, and some you know if she was in a really good mood then and if tomatoes were in season <laughs> because again I, I go back to the time when tomatoes had to be consumed seasonally mm. this uh the period that i'm talking about we didn't get tomatoes throughout the year it was only in the winters that you saw them so if she was in there were tomatoes she'd make a tomato chutney a hot sweet tomato i still i still use that chutney a lot in Do my Yeah, yeah yeah it's oh, one I of those things that. yeah
0: and i think that brings me on to my next question which is could you describe some of the dishes that she made that really sort of takes you back to your childhood?
1: Yeah, you know, so the, 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 the potato bhujiya, um, uh and the puri, um, I I mean, I didn't think of it then. I mean, it was a treat then, as it is a treat now, obviously all for different reasons. Um, I, I realised how that was her, you know, kind of, it was just that one thing that, no matter what happened, she could all, always have potatoes, and she always have more potatoes than you need in mm. the house because you could keep them and whatever, mm. and and flour as well. You know, always, and it was um, uh, that she would be able to rustle that up, no matter what time of the day or night, no matter where, how many people turned up. I mean, it was pretty, you know, and um, it was swift, and <laughs> she she did that. I mean, and, and we we loved it then. I love it now. Um, as much. And um, you know, I, I think we even now, even after all these years, um, depends on you know how long we've been in mainland Europe for. My wife and I we come back, um, <laughs> come back after two weeks or whatever and, and, and we are very comp- you know be very versatile in our uh, food uh, choices and eat well and all of that. Still come back after two weeks. Um, and we won't speak a word, we'll just look at each other and we just go and rustle up and we'll make puris and <laughs> potatoes. And this is what everybody does. And that's does. what you yeah. go back to. Yeah, it. yeah, you go back to. It's just, it's very, very special. Uh, and it's like, you know, it's, it's. think of it as a, of course, it's celebration food. Celebration, why? Because whenever you're feeding lots of people, you want bread or whatever, which you can do quickly. And mm-hmm. puri is something you can make much quicker than, say, a chapati or a, another kind of bread. So you often find big feasts involved fried bread. (laughs) You know, it's just just one of those things.
0: I know that I've sort of been very generalised in how I've been talking about sort of Indian food as a whole. You know, it's very complex in that it differs from region to region, north to south, east to west. Can you kind of, in short, because I know it's actually a much bigger conversation, but sort of dissect the food that you make and Kind of explain the ethos that you've sort of based your restaurants on, because mm. although you're from West Bengal, yeah, you know you're not just cooking That's that friendly. kind of food. You're, you know food. you're 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 <clears> doing a bit of everything. So kind of explain to people that might not understand, yeah, sort of how Indian food sort of the, the, the complexities of it. Oh yeah,
1: you're you're, you're absolutely right. I, and if I try to just compartmentalize, even you know broadly, pan-Indian food into various regions. And just said, okay, well, let's just divide the country into four parts and go north, west, east, south, whatever it is. Um, right. Even that is, to an extent, slightly unfair because there's just so much. Whether it's in terms of different religions, different states, mm. different regions, different influences, um, it's just—it's no two homes cook the same way. You know, even neighbors next doors—they always have this little, you know. Quirk that yeah. every recipe has, so it's a little bit unfair to kind of just generalize into okay, this is Bengali and this is mm. North Indian, this is uh, Rajasthan or whatever. But broadly speaking, if you you know went east, west, not south, you find different influences, different um, staples. So in the east, for example, and in the south, we'll use quite a lot of uh, rice as the staple. That is the staple, uh, and then. Um, in the west and in in the north it's more wheat so that's just a very fundamental difference in the east the cooking oil is usually mustard oil yeah oh, uh, or, or a bit of ghee if you're mm-hmm. uh, slightly affluent in the north it's a lot of ghee and, and some regular vegetable or corn oil or refined whatever in the west again it's you know it's um, mustard oil and ghee in the south it's coconut so it's just about you know and if, you know different parts of the country again. You know, uh, Kerala, for example, uh, you mentioned fleetingly in your uh, experience, it's all coconut oil and lots of coconut milk and lots of fresh fish and yeah. seafood because that's what you get quite easily. It's also the land of spice, and therefore a lot of the spices, the the most prized spices. And then people, you know, um, we we will use things like um, uh, goats' milk and. Goat's yogurt in the in the arid uh, climes of Rajasthan, a- and the food is a lot more rustic and a lot more simpler because you know the, it, the 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 climatic conditions are quite harsh, and so people need to make do with whatever they have. Very little waste, you know. It's a maize, uh, chickpeas, a um, lot of hygroscopic stuff. Everything that helps you retain water in the body mm. because it's such an arid mm. climate, and 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 can be quite harsh. At but you know. Very dry and arid climate, but amazingly colorful and vibrant people, as you would know from your yes. you know, visits into, <laughs> into Rajasthan. And um, and so you, every, every um, sort of region has its own slight quirks, whether it's the choice of uh, uh, protein uh, or starch or oil, um, and then everything else that goes around it. Much of the country would consume, um, well, I say much of the country would consume uh, goat meat or uh, lamb. Um, is probably the most, is the choice protein. Chicken is a more relative thing, um, more relatively, you know, newer thing. Fish is just so restricted to wherever of it's called, you know, because the logistics and the transport isn't mm. anywhere as uh, developed as uh, here. But it also makes the food and the cuisine very, kind of, you know, uh, the ecosystem quite small, and therefore you're able to, and that's a, that's its own beauty as well. The fact that you don't find everything everywhere all the time makes the experience which works.
0: I sort of feel like is what the western world are starting to do now we've sort of, in the past sort of let's say five to ten years we've all become so aware of not only sort of eating seasonally Correct. and sort of you know it's sort of like saying well if you're inland why would you eat fish as Correct. opposed to eating it on the coast it's like Correct. you guys have been doing this from the, from the beginning of time you well know? most
1: most great <laughs> cuisines do that <laughs> yes. because you know most great <laughs> cuisines do that because um, the thing the whole notion of and the idea of Everything being available all the time actually just comes from inordinate amount of wealth and very little understanding. Because, totally. you know, you just yeah. normally, you can't expect anything to be available. Yeah. And, and the whole point is, you know, if, you, if you're then going out chasing asparagus in, in December or whatever, <laughs> I mean, it comes at a cost, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it also probably
0: doesn't taste very no, nice No, it's either. not particularly <laughs> really nice either. Or strawberries for that exactly. matter. Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, but, but then people kind of lose touch yeah. um, somehow like that. I mean, um, it's, it's, it's no different. It's, uh, you see that a lot, I'm mean, I'm seeing this in, uh, in my experience in, in the last sort of 10, 15 years, observing India from an outsider's perspective. You know, I live here, and I go back every time. I perhaps notice the, the changes a bit more than somebody who's in it. Uh, I mean, I've been noticing you know, people are increasingly using mushrooms and baby corn and peppers and stuff that was not necessarily native, and it's not a bad thing, it's mm. quite good. But this whole idea of, you know, cauliflower, you know, tomatoes or whatever being available throughout the year, which it is now, it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost of, you know, whether it's diversity of ingredients or, um, you know, things like, you know, we used to grow so many other things um, other than just wheat and rice. And now, mostly, the rest of it is getting lost, whether it's maize, whether it's chickpea, whether it's other forms of legumes and proteins and whatever. Because people just you know kind of just chasing a cash crop, but then that changes our behaviors. It changes our you know the way we probably cook, mm. or um, and then that will change how people or further generations will remember what they you know what they eat, and how special it tastes or whatever that is.
0: And then for people who haven't yet had the chance to visit one of your restaurants, how dare they? <laughs> um, you know what can they expect? Are you serving? Sort of a, a, a grand spectrum of what India as a whole has to offer, or sort of how do you sort of yeah. how do you sort of um, work out your menu?
1: So yeah, I mean, if I had to describe the the kind of cuisine, the kind of food that we are offering in our restaurants, uh, in three words, it'll be evolving, modern, Indian. Um, you know, in, if I had to elaborate a bit, I'd say. We draw inspiration from all parts of the country. So it's a pan-Indian restaurant. It isn't just Bengali or North Indian or Lucknowi, or whatever. Um, so it's, it draws inspiration from traditional Indian recipes and traditional Indian cooking techniques and spicy um, and combines that with the very best local seasonal produce. Money can buy wherever you are. Yeah. You know? So we happen to be cooking in London. Uh, you know, if I have access to, uh, if I go to South, South Africa, I can find ingredients that I, you know, will work well and I'll use the techniques and the spicing, and you know, we'll come up with something. And so that essentially is how uh, we approach. Uh, we take a view that, uh, you know, there are things that people absolutely love and know, and they think they really know well, uh, you know, whether it's a curry, it's a Robin josh, it's a biryani or whatever. Um, we have made it our life's mission to say, well, if you think you know it, think <laughs> again, because we'll get you to change it. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll give you another experience yeah. of it. And if you think you, uh, at the same time, if there is, we also believe that it's it's a part of our uh, thing where we are we're responsible for giving our guests uh, new experiences and things to remember and learn Uh, and therefore we will forever be introducing them to ingredients that they may or may not be familiar with uh, sharing stories of dishes of spices of things so you know we'll have we have sangri beans on our menu here we've always had it for 20 years i still don't think there's any other restaurant in london that offers sangri bean as a as a side dish, as an ingredient, why would you? But I I thought it really told the story of where I was coming from just before I came here. Uh, Rajasthan, I was cooking in Jaipur, and it is not something that looks particularly good, or it's not something that everybody loves, you know, in terms of taste and all that. But that is not the entire point about food all the time. Sometimes it's just about appreciating that it is such an important, ingredient and an important part of some, you know, somebody's meal in some part of the world. Mm. And that people have this, and it's of course, if nothing else, a new experience. And in terms of its potential, it could be a, such an eye-opening thing. Like, you know, people having to make, make do with dried berries and beans, yeah. and here I am, <laughs> complaining about, you know, out-of-season strawberries. <laughs>
0: I think one um, sort of thing that you sort of done with your life which is obviously sort of you know to become this very acclaimed chef is and I and I say this coming from sort of my Iranian heritage although I didn't come from a very traditional Iranian background I want to know what how your parents felt when you Said to them, you know, that you wanted to become a chef, or you started pursuing whatever route yeah. it was that you took, because I can imagine sort of similar with sort of the traditional Iranian sort of outlook in life. As I'm sure with like sort of traditional Indian families, you know, they want you to go and do well, and you know, make the family proud. And That's right. I know, you know, you I can say this because exactly, you know, it's always in Iranian families like you either become a lawyer, a doctor, <laughs> um, a dentist. There's a lot of Iranian dentists out there. Um, you know, how did they react? to
1: that yeah so you know to answer that question i've I, now i've got to, i've got to be fair to them um that i mean we've got to go back in time almost 30 30 odd years 32 years ago so it wasn't uh a career of that that was you know that was sort of a quite mainstream certainly yeah. not in the background that they had you know he my dad had worked really hard to kind of just educate himself and become an engineer. So it was a life struggle, you know, on scholarships, on this, on that, just one grant after the other, one this after the other, just to get that, and then, and he never really forced us to study or anything, but he just said "Oh, you should become a graduate, I mean you should just go to university, do that, and then whatever. Um, but when they say whatever, it usually means either an engineer <laughs> or a doctor, and if you aren't good for any of those, then you go and try for civil services or something yeah. like that. But that was the norm and I, I don't blame them for having those thoughts because that's what they knew and that's what they thought was, you know, was in society the acceptable form of, um, you know, achievement or attainment, whatever you want to, you know, whichever way you want to look at it. So, you know, the, and I, I, I like everybody else, I, I did try it for the armed forces um, because I, I was interested in that. Uh, I never got in, and I tried. <clears throat> and then I, pre- I pretended that I was, you know, putting in lots of effort, and I was applying to become an engineer, and you know, whatever. I did, I went, had two goes at it. But you always had to have a backup, and um, you, know, uh, you know, in case your engineering uh, seat didn't come through, what do you do? So I had this, uh, hotels were my backup, hotel management was my backup, because I had met a few people who were A, very fun, and um, the the way they described the life uh, it sounded like an amazing three-year-long picnic <laughs> and, you know so I said, no classes to it. take no 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 notes yeah. to make <laughs> but, you know the exams are a real walk in the park it seemed like a real fun place to be for three years i said i'm gonna do that i mean that's gonna be my backup so and fair enough you know i didn't i didn't get it to uh, the first list or the second list in engineering and i this came through and i was you know i got the first college of my choice i had a great ranking because you know anybody with half a brain wouldn't apply for yeah. a hotel management <laughs> in those days but anyway i went in there they weren't i mean they weren't um, unhappy about me going into hotel man because they thought, okay this is the first thing that's come through they were unhappy when i got an engineering place in the third fourth mm. fifth or sixth list or whatever it was uh, in some real small town and they they wanted me to you know drop hotels and come come to engineering and I said, nah, I'm not doing this. I'm in Delhi, I'm having a great time. I've just been voted the fresher of the year. I'm hey. not yeah I'm not going back <laughs> No way. <laughs> no way am I going back I'm just on the hardest bit you know which is the freshman's month yeah. or whatever. I'm not going to do this. I, I love hotels. I'm, I'm you know I'm loving what I'm seeing. I'm not you know And so I, I stuck to it. they were unhappy about it and it says, oh are you sure, whatever anyway. So they let by, you know, we did it. And I, I then kind of went on and got the right jobs and all the right sort of thing. Um, I don't think they, um, they kind of resented it anymore. But I really think after I came here, and I think it must have been 10 years here at the Cinnamon club, um, my dad um, had a meal here. For the first time in his life, he had pigeon and he had venison. And he had a glass of red wine. He never drank all his life. Okay. He had a glass of red wine. I thought he was proud of me. He had to be. Ah. He really was. Yeah, yeah. Has he? No. Ha, ha,
0: have they said they're proud of you? Uh,
1: I, no, I don't think it has many words when he but was they, alive. But they've shown it in. Yes, in, in, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think more more than that. And I also think that they they, they feel like you know, they it was a huge success because, of course, I took a path that nobody had taken before. Not nobody now. Kind of you know. Upbringing. Mm. But the fact that, you know, I paved the way for so many and there's so many people who since have gone on and done hotel management and all that, it makes them really proud. My mom, my mom you know, kind of, you know, she, she takes a lot of pride in that. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's good, but not in as many words. I just think it's a very old-fashioned, you know, uh, we don't go around. I come from that generation where, you know, we, we didn't sort of go every day and so they, good job <laughs> yeah uh, done son <laughs> that, that's a it's a
0: very cultural thing Isn't it, it, it? It, it happens um, in Iranian culture I'm as sure well it. It, it's one of those I don't know what it is I don't know if it's sort of like a You don't want to sort of show the youngers, sort of, I don't know. You
1: want to keep I don't know, either that or in in their heart of hearts, if they don't want to jinx it. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I'm not going to bring it forward. Yeah, that's true. Or sort of,
0: you you sort of just want to, in in case you say, I'm proud of you, that maybe that person will just stop and just be like, okay, I've done it now. (laughs) They need to keep, you know, you want them to keep working and keep succeeding. Um, Sort of, before we sort of get onto, you know, Taste of London. the one thing I would like to ask you is, you know obviously, you worked up the ranks in India, you then sort of honed in on your craft and your skills, you finally came to the UK, you opened the cinnamon Club in two thousand and one. What was the culinary scene like over here compared to what you were experiencing over in India? Because that I'm imagining was quite different.
1: Um, oh yeah, when we when we look back at twenty one years and you know the culinary scene, um it is about as different as it could have been yeah um in many ways more ways than one can imagine i mean i i, I was working in what was then the world's best hotel in the world i mean by um it was condonast um and uh in Jaipur. it was the finest boutique hotel that mm-hmm. india had ever produced by then we were um, uh, we were also Tatler's best hotel in the world in 2001 wow. so it was you know it was a quite quite an accomplished place and I was part of the opening team there we had amazing amount of both love and you know sense of accomplishment for the place that we were in um, we were very proud of the ingredients that we were working with and, and yet I had this sort of sense of restlessness where I thought there was so much more that could be done with food and it you know, wasn't being done. Um, but absolutely no doubt that India wasn't ready for this kind of food then. Um, <laughs> from the sound of it, I uh, this was early days of the internet as well. We have to uh, you know imagine in 1998, 1999, 2000, internet was a relatively new thing. But you could still you know kind of if you searched hard enough, you could find restaurant yeah. menus on, on the internet. <laughs> God, I remember you those just, days. <laughs> you know, in fact, quite a lot of restaurants did not even have websites, and yeah. if they had, they weren't sharing their menus <laughs> and, and whatever anyway there was enough information out there to be able to find menus from a lot of places and uh, looking at it from outside I was you know I was in Jaipur looking uh, at London scene and thinking yeah, I mean you know there's so much more that can be done but I don't think the chefs working here were able to see it in in that sense so I could really see an opportunity saying well actually the menus all read the same there's lots of dishes there's quite a lot of ingredients. Uh, well you know here's an opportunity to actually do something differently i was able to see that and you know get quite excited about it whereas um at the same time I was finding it incredibly frustrating to want to do those things in uh, in a really fine hotel in india and wasn't being able to because oh well you know people come to india with an expectation mm. they like a curry we give them a curry we give them recipes that uh, have been around for 200 years, and nothing has ever evolved, or you know, no experimentation. And I really liked the, I liked the idea of uh, um, creating a bit of elbow room, yeah. and and it was magical to be able to do that here, because here uh, this this space, this room, was a blank canvas uh, in terms of uh, we had lofty ambitions, a lofty, um, I mean, I, I one thing that I think made Cinnamon Club so special among other things was its audacity. I thought it was the audaciousness of the idea of saying, well, we're gonna come into the heart of Westminster in the heart of the establishment and try and change something that people absolutely know, or they think they know and mm-hmm. love, which is the, the curry house, right? Yeah. <laughs> so here we are, we're trying to you know, give people uh, a layered experience, uh, innovative experimental dishes, seasonally changing menus, quality ingredients. Um, it was like, it was like trying to give people um, a, a lot of things that they didn't think they want or need, because the one common question often was, I mean, you know, who is this for? Because we, you know, we Brits, we love a curry, and we don't expect much from it. Why are you, you know, who are you trying to impress, mm. or mm-hmm. trying to, you know, because Indians will not come and spend, or Asians will not come and yeah. spend good money on, on this kind of food. And we Brits, we love a curry, but we don't, you know, we don't expect much from it. So, who's this for? And this was the big conundrum for a number of years. Saying, you know, from a financial model, it's not one, it's not something that you need. But then, you know, you 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 believe in something, and you do it long enough, and you realize that actually, its business is not just about giving people what they know or what they want. It's also about telling people what they know and what they want. Absolutely. And sometimes it's a journey that you have to take people Absolutely. on. Absolutely. So.
0: That's really interesting. I didn't really see it from that point, point. Um, and so I guess nowadays, what is sort of like your main demographic of um, of, of people coming in?
1: Oh well, you know, I'm, um, I I can tell you, uh, twenty years on, I have seen so many changes. I have seen, yeah. uh, I mean, subtle changes in the demographic. You know, in two thousand one, it was possibly just ninety five percent. Corporate, uh, political journalists, yeah. um, politicians, uh, political editors, uh, p- partly by virtue of where we are, but mm. partly also because you know if it's the new thing, bankers and whatever. So there was a, a lot of that, um, and barely, barely any ladies or women. So few yeah. because it felt like a gentleman's club. Okay. You know, it was very institutional. It felt like it, um, and then, you know. I'd, I'd come in and look at the a full dining room and and be very happy about it. But equally, the other side of my you know, my, my mind said perhaps after a year or so, started thinking. Look, you know, where is my next generation of people coming? Because these people are going to die in a few <laughs> years. Now. You know, where is the where is the, where are the next ones coming where are all from? Where the young kids? Yeah, are? yeah, yeah. And the, <laughs> the young kids. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, the time for it. But then, you know, it was uh, a conscious. Uh, um, desire to say well look you know we we don't just want to be a corporate restaurant in a in an official business district Mm. or whatever it is we wanted to attract families we want to attract tourists we want to attract so how do we go about that and you know having the weekends and and in the beginning i get a lot of you know a lot of people you know this is a a restaurant desert the streets are now i mean they 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 now have double yellow lines they used to have single yellow lines you could park at the weekends was just free And nobody had any business being on this street in the old days. You know, on a Friday night and a Saturday evening, there is absolutely nothing here. There's no reason for anybody to be here on this street. And yet, every Friday and Saturday night, you couldn't find parking around here. Because people from, you know, the bridges and the tunnels and up and down the country were coming here to to eat and to experience. And that was amazing because when the crash happened, and I I speak of the crash, whether it was the... 2001, um, you know, the dot-com crash after all, the, you know, credit crunch. Every time the crash happened, the business would just shift from, you know, being very corporate and very uh, business type to just families and, you know, and and it's just kept us going like Mm that. I went through a a whole phase of about seven years, but, you know, there'd be very few uh, Indian people or Asian people uh, in the, in the sort of restaurants, um, and then a lot of people would say, "Well, yeah, this is this is this authentic because you know um, you don't have many Asian um, guests or customers." And I'd think, oh, "Come on, you know, we're a London restaurant. Yeah. We're in the heart of London. Yeah. You know, f- give or take three or four or five percent is possibly the Asian um, population here. And if that's the mix here, then it's probably mm. it's about right. You know, mm. it's not." more Indian or less Indian. And I, I used to take great exception of the fact that I thought it was incredibly lazy for both journalists and for anybody to say, well, if you want to know what a good ethnic restaurant is about, go and see how many <laughs> ethnic, ethnic people eat there. Because I think it's perhaps the most racist and yeah. the most <laughs> laziest, laziest thing that people can it say. It is, you know? you're, no, you're right, you know, It actually. is absolutely yeah, no, abhorrent. I'm, no, totally, I so, you I, know, I used that. to take great exception at that. Um, and then for a good seven years or so, we'd see very little, and then we started seeing more and more um, families, and Asian families yeah. celebrating a graduation, celebrating somebody getting you know um, um, a vestiture or you know an OBE, an yeah. MBE or something. All these grand things were you know beginning to be celebrated. Then I went through a whole phase of people would come to me and say. I remember coming here when I was seven years old. Mm. This is the first time I've, you know, I I I experienced something like this. The chandeliers were that big. The waiters were so tall. I said, no, 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 wait! (laughs) The chandeliers were just as big as they are now. It's just just bigger, (laughs) and they seem smaller. (laughs) You remember it like that, you know. But this is the thing. I realized the power of having children in the dining room. Mm. I thought they were the most important, Mm. you know. because children always remember things larger than life and when they grow up and i have been very fortunate that i've seen those seven years seven year olds you know turn into 22 23 mm. years old and, mm. and then every time at workplace or any time at you know their their bosses or they're doing business m- meetings and say oh indian is whatever I say, I'll, I'll show you <laughs> <laughs> so they bring these people over and we get this next crop of you know, clients or customers or whatever. But it's been an amazing journey to I see I love that.
0: And, and I hope there is another 21 years
1: here, which I'm <laughs> sure there will, we'll be sitting here, you and I, in
0: 20 years' time, talking about this moment. Oh, wow. <laughs> so obviously, I not only am I here to obviously sit down and, and talk to you about your life, but you know, we have a very exciting uh, few days ahead of us, Absolutely. and which is obviously Taste of London. This year in particular is the 18 year anniversary, 18 being my lucky number, so that must mean something. And I didn't realize until I spoke to you just before we started recording that you have been with Taste of London since its inaugural year. Which is absolutely (laughs) incredible. So I want to know about your relationship with Taste and sort of how it started and, and, and and, and what's so amazing about it that you've kept going.
1: I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I'll tell you. I mean, it's been it's, it's been an amazing partnership with Taste of London, and I've literally seen uh, the event itself, you know, come of age, and, and just a bit like you know every exceptional institution. It's almost it's become one of those things that's almost a fixture for yeah. foodies in London that is not to be missed. And and I say in London, it's only because it's held in London. I think people who are attending it attend it from all parts of the country, mm. if not internationally. Yeah. You know. And over the years, of, you know, I, I remember it from its first year um, when it was held in in, in the Somerset House. It, it was such a small iteration. But I remember, you know, it was a Wednesday afternoon. I'd finished my managers' meeting here. And, arrived with a few pots and pans and, you know, to try and set up. And I saw everybody else and I was next to Gavroche and Gavroche had a wallpaper. <laughs> you know, it said, Gavroche, Gavroche. And it was properly decorated and all that. And I, I, I called up the restaurant and said, hey, you better send me some more pictures oh, and some no. things to put on the walls. Because clearly we didn't, we didn't get the memo oh, that you, you oh, had hilarious. to decorate your stuff. And I said, I'm not standing here doing this. Instead of we we're in the middle of a manager's meeting. I said, just put everything on hold, of you send me whatever you have. So they brought some books and we brought some, you know, whatever else and decorated. It was as shambolic as that for my first appearance. But then over the years, you know, we've kind of become taste <laughs> legends in the sense <laughs> we've loved the journey we've been on with taste and, and 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 it's been a great partnership. But the thing I love most about this is that uh, in the beginning it was a big thing for me to um, want to take part because it was always billed as oh 32 or 36 or forty of the best London restaurants. Mm. So it was a big driver saying, oh you know are we still relevant? Are you still you know uh, up in up there in terms of people's imaginations? and so it was quite an important thing. We really wanted to be there. We wanted to you know take part and put yourself out, uh, put your style of cuisine out, but put your you know just meet a lot of guests and a lot of our our guests have discovered taste. Um, through us Uh, a lot of taste visitors have discovered us through taste and over the years it's been a it's been a a really good you know journey and a trip you know on that and I I, you know I love the fact how people um, because in the dining room with the best will in the world you're not able to interact you know with your audience all, all the time or you know as much as you would like but taste is a really it's brilliant I mean it's a it's a it's a, the best picnic four days it's long It's such you
0: know? a lovely way of putting it it's, it's so the best true. picnic it's ever it's the best it. picnic with the best food yeah the best people the yeah. best vibes yeah. and, and, in and the it's, most beautiful of settings exactly right? and
1: and it's neutral territory right yeah. because you went to a guest and you asked them you know how's your food and it's almost cliched. in your surroundings the They'll always say, yeah, oh, no, it's yeah. great, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. it's never a neutral territory. But as in, in you know, Regents Park, you know, on a sunny afternoon, or even if it's raining, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter what it is. <laughs> which it has, yeah. it has rained a lot in the over the years. You can never really call it. But I mean, whatever it is, it's it's a it's it's such an a disarming setting. People are you know just free and they're open. And the kind of feedback you receive and 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 for our teams. It's been amazing mm. that sort of close-up interaction with the customers, which they, with the best will as I said, in the world, we're not able to experience that in in the in the restaurants. That the fact that you then, with 40 other restaurants and restaurateurs, the kind of exchange of ideas, it's also the some dishes, sort of like
0: camaraderie as oh, well, and, and amazing. you create that community. And, amazing, and I can also imagine quite inspirational in a way for you, sort of in terms of maybe sort of finding new things that are going on and sort of using it as a way to kind of it might influence your menu for the next season it always does i bet
1: it always does you know it always has you always go into taste with four great ideas that you you know you bring in on your dishes Mm. or whatever it is whatever you're proudest of at that point in time we always come back with fourteen others, yeah. right? I mean, that's the, that's the way taste works. <laughs> that's the beauty of it's it. The, though, it's you know? not. A, I think it's it's one of those few things that are a genuine win-win yeah. for everyone. Whether you're a visitor, you're a participant, you're a. Chef is just going in for demos, and I mean, it's just the the vibe is amazing. No,
0: totally. So, could you, out of these very incredible eighteen years, could you choose a couple of your best moments? Can you remember <laughs> any of them?
1: <laughs> uh, best moments, I. Um, there have been years when the weather has been an absolute godsend, and it's just been brilliant. And there are others where it's just. Poor and poor, <laughs> and it's been you know, you, everybody needed wellies and ponchos yeah. and what have you. But I, I, looking back at it, I don't think these were any less um, exciting. Or, you know, um, th- there are a couple that are you know, there, there are a couple that really come to mind, uh, and they're often about, um, I mean, sometimes it's about uh, dishes that you put out and you know, the kind of response it receives. And over the years, I think it's been two, if not three, probably times that we've kind of, you know, either one a silver or a bronze or something at, you know, one of the best in taste, mm. which is always a great cake, a great thrill, great thrill. Uh, and every time I've kind of put something out like that I'm thinking, thinking, mm, it's probably not mainstream enough. It might not be that popular, say lamb brains, you know, <laughs> one year um, and, and I think, oh, well, it's not going to be that popular and it wins a prize. I mean, you know, the it's taste audience have this incredible ability yeah. to surprise. Mm. Which is very, very um, counterintuitive mm. as a chef. It's, it's and this is why I enjoy going there. I think if I had to pick up and pick another poignant moment, I think it was probably 2011 uh, or 12 or one of those you know, things, where um, I was doing a demo on the main stage and Jay Rayner was hosting it, um, and so he was, you know, he was the compare for the day. Uh, <laughs> And so, um, we, we were cooking, and, it's, and and in the introduction, Jay says, you know, t- 10 years ago, rah, 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 uh, I did a piece on how to open a restaurant with 3.2 million or whatever. I covered three restaurants. Two of them are no longer here. This is the only one that has survived 10 years.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> That's amazing. I
1: thought that was, that was really amazing. That's so I never, cool. And uh, to
0: kind of come from him as well. Yeah, yeah, know. correct.
1: You know, he says... Uh, <laughs> I did this piece in three restaurants. Two of them are no more. Wow. This is the only one that has survived. <laughs> so be you good. better listen to him. <laughs> no, I thought that was quite, you know. So uh, yeah, they, these these two kind of stand out. Yeah.
0: And. I'm not sure if, if if you've already figured it out yet, but do you know what you're doing for this year's taste? Uh, have the you dishes? got an idea? Of yeah. the dishes? Yeah. Of course I have. Okay, yeah. are, you, are you allowed to give us a sneak preview? I want you to, like, tantalise our taste buds just a little bit.
1: Okay. Um, Go
0: on, give me a little something.
1: Okay. Um, right, so there are, there are three dishes, um, like... Um, Everybody has, and then we got a fourth iconic dish as well. Um, so I have uh, one is a shrimp-crusted pollock, um, uh, and I you call it Kerala pollock, but you know, quite simply put, it's a Kerala pollock. But um, the way the dish comes is, um, it's got a um, a green mango and coconut alopee curry you know, sauce on the bottom. It's a salt cured um, Uh, Pollock, which is then crusted with a shrimp paste on top and then uh, roasted in the oven. Oh my gosh, Uh, if you could see
0: my face right now, (laughs) I know that's what I'm queuing up for.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so we've got that. I've got a sea kebab tava masala, uh, which is like a chicken sea kebab. Um, Then it's stir-fried with uh, sort of a deep, rich onion and tomato um, sauce. And that's going to come on a a, a saffron and honey glazed mal bread. And then one of the 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 dish, the other dish that we are incredibly excited about is um, Iran. So I'm doing a deconstructed version of Iran. Iran is it's traditionally a slow braised leg of lamb that has been you know been a centerpiece of many a feast tables over the years, uh, possibly 200 years. (laughs) But um, uh, we've kind of deconstructed that. We've created individual portions of Mm. that. That ran, I only, we only kind of not invented, but reinvented this for our 20th anniversary last year. So it's a ran that is going to be wrapped in a rumali bread and that's going to come with a saffron, nutmeg and peppercorn sauce. Vivek, you've (laughs)
0: sold everything to me. Guys, that is, you're probably going to have the longest queue. <laughs> well, I hope
1: so. I hope that so. We love queues. That sounds
0: absolutely phenomenal. There is not one thing on there that you've said that I'm like, oh, no, I think I might pass on that one. <laughs> you've literally gone ding, 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 yeah, ding well, for everything. I'm super excited. And sort of taking it back to sort of food in general, as I sort of wrap up, what's your relationship with food like?
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's... it's um... It's a great question but it's also not a straightforward answer mm. to it because the, 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 the my, my relationship food is with food in general and just you know is is so layered and it's got so many dimensions and so many facets that it's um, you know the, I think the core of it is the fact that I'm a greedy person I love to eat love to eat no matter what time of the that, day that's it is, where yeah. we're
0: really going to get on very well <laughs> you and I
1: <laughs> you know but that's the core of it yeah. I think that the yeah. fact that I in spite of being surrounded by food for the last 30 odd years I still love eating as much as this but I mean, the other thing that I realized over the years is that I'm, I'm, I'm also you know there are people who love to eat and, um, and you know there are lots of people I know like that but there are also uh, lots of chefs and lots of people I know that Love feeding, and I, I think I'm, I'm I fall in both categories mm-hmm. quite firmly. Is that I, I like to think of myself as a feeder, you know. I like to feed more. <laughs> I was like, I have a little <laughs> bit more and try a bit more. I think I got that from my mum, you know. Um, she was a, she was a, she, he was like that. She, you know, my my friends who'd come from school would say, you know, your mum, she's amazing. You know, if you, she feeds you so much. If you open your mouth a little bit longer to yawn, she'll put something in it. You know? so I, I, think I'm a bit like that. Love you know, that. I, 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 like to feed. And I think you know, we know, you know, lots of people who are like that. You know, Azma, I think of Azma Khan, as another one who's she's a proper feeder you know yeah. yeah you know you open your mouth a bit longer and she, she throws something, throw something
0: in. in fact i do remember uh, going to her restaurant last year and i actually know her because i met her Funnily enough, at Taste last year, I mean, and yeah. um, I ended up. We ended up going to the restaurant, and she actually did the same thing at the table. She yeah, was ordering yeah. a few things, and yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. "I didn't order this." She was like, "Just eat it."
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. So you know, so my 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 relationship with food is is um, quite sort of you know multifaceted. Mm-hmm. I, I like to think of these two as the primal, but then there is also uh, a much deeper one. I I remember going to my, one of the first things that I learned from uh, hotel school was. Uh, I arrived into the induction thing a bit late and the principal then was saying well, you're not just, you're not just, uh, you know, a kind of a server or a waiter or a chef or whatever. You're actually a, um, an ambassador of your culture, your cuisine, whatever you stand for and believe in. You're actually spreading the word to the wider audience. And I kind of took it very seriously. I thought, oh, this is amazing that yeah. really, you know, you take your work, work a little bit more seriously mm. like that. as you always feel like you have this thing where I, I feel like, you know, I'm constantly looking for a new ingredient or something that I'm gonna put forward in front of my people thinking, hey, you haven't tried this before, come on, try. I almost feel like my relationship uh, ship with food is that I must get people to experience the things that I have experienced, uh, tell the stories of my upbringing and my culture and the place that I come from, um, and, and at the same time experience this from other people. So you know, it makes the, 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 the process really gratifying. I can have a really good meal going into any chef's restaurant as long as I'm interested in this story. So Absolutely. you know, And I get that all the time. I have great meals all the time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more because um, that's even why I sort of do this. You know, it's the story. Yeah. It's not just the food on the table. It's the yeah. story behind the person that's yeah. made it for you. And I yeah. think that is such an exciting element of of the experience. Yeah. So, i finished my conversations with a few quickfire questions. Are you ready?
1: Oh, well, I'm about as ready, ready. as I can be. <laughs> okay.
0: What is the craziest food you've ever eaten? Tripe. Ooh, okay.
1: <laughs> I've got to be
0: honest, I'm not a fan.
1: I'm not a fan, but I never thought I would be. Um, this was in an Nepalese restaurant. I never, I didn't think I would like it, but I yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Had, you know, they were, yeah, yeah, It was, you know, it was the best tripe I've had. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, that.
0: I, I still yeah. need to find um, a dish that, that has it in it and that that I can and convert, can, yeah, but I'm yeah, not there yet. Yeah.
1: Well, crazy. I, I thought it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No. I, I mean, I'd add yeah. that as a crazy. Mm-hmm. What has been your most memorable meal?
1: Ooh, that's so tough. That's so unfair. That's a question. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, no, it's 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 a really difficult one, but okay. Well, it's a rapid fire, so I'll, I'll most memorable if I had to go back the deepest, it's possibly. And I I might have said this before, but um, I went to a, a Bengali wedding when I was nine years nine nine or ten years old, and I tasted prawn malai curry for the first time. Shrimps actually, you know, they weren't prawns, but shrimps. Shrimp malai curry for the first time. I. Absolutely loved it. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I every time I cook it, I go into a zone and I just you know just, just yeah. completely get transported. It has got to be that particular dish and that particular uh, experience or memory has got to be my fondest food memory. Oh, yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, a little bit a little bit off topic right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always I don't know why I'm laughing before I ask this question. Oh God. My favorite snack of all time is a packet of crisps. What is your favorite flavor of crisps and why? Oh, <laughs> uh,
1: favorite flavor of crisps. Uh, no, no, it's not. It's not I mean, it's a very of, important, it's question. A really important question. It's a very important question. Mine is Sensations Thai Sweet Chili.
0: Really? Mm. Why? Big bags. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: You're my kind of guy. <laughs> You're my kind of yeah, guy. Yeah, I thought you were going to ask We don't me, deal yeah. with those small no, no, packets. No, no, b- no, big no, bags. We want a, bag. proper yeah, a proper
1: portion. Okay. Yeah, proper portion.
0: Okay. Is that just because it's got a bit of... They've got flavour. It's they've got, got flavour. It's got a bit of spice. A
1: bit of, bit of, yeah, a little bit of spice. Um, but, the, you know, the, uh, it's the only one that both the kids and I, yeah. you know, we love. So, you know, bigger bags. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. I accept yeah.
0: that. What food sums up happiness for you?
1: Um, oh yeah, happiness. Happiness is got to be mm, butter chicken, uh, an old Delhi style butter chicken, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I love how I make it. It's a very particular way, but that's not the hard bit. If you cook, I'm cooking for others. It's not the hardest bit. The Hardest bit is somebody cooking it for me, um, and I, I'm incredibly fortunate. Actually, two of the people. Um, that I really think cook the best butter chicken. Uh, I'm still friends with them after 20-odd years, <laughs> you know. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, it's, it's amazing.
0: Is that because they still make a good butter chicken? They it hasn't they offended know, you yet. They,
1: they, 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 <laughs> no, no. Um, if I ever ask anybody to make butter chicken, I'll ask them. Because I know I'll have no nothing, you know, I won't be tweaking or, you know. Fair saying a little bit less a little bit of yeah this question uh, is
0: on behalf of taste of London uh-huh. which is what are you most excited about this year at taste
1: uh, what am I most excited about uh, at taste this year is just being able to go back and meet all these people in, in in the flesh that we haven't been able to do for the last you know couple of years um, I can't begin to tell you how I'm, how excited I am about that because um there was there were times in the last couple of years when I, 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 I honestly thought that all of that is a thing of the past mm, now. Mm. So really delighted. I think, delighted. We, all, I think yeah. we all went through that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So really delighted to be a um, be able to celebrate Taste turning 18. I think really coming of age, uh, being able to celebrate, although belatedly, uh, our 20th anniversary. Yes. Um, um, being a legend in Taste. Hey, hey it's amazing. <laughs> it's
0: incredible. <laughs> And final question, and I think the most important, live to eat or eat to live? Oh,
1: no, 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 live to eat. <laughs> it's got to be there. <laughs> of course it does. There's only one way of that. Live to eat. Of course. I eat every meal as though it's my last.
0: And you know what? That's my problem.
1: <laughs> that is my problem,
0: Vivek. I'm trying to work on that. I think that's my privilege. You know? Vivek, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to see you at Taste and um, I'm sure everyone is really excited. Now that you've spoken about the dishes that you're going to be serving, um, I think everyone is literally ready and waiting to get down to your, uh, your restaurant. Um, thank you so much. Where can everyone follow you on social media or where can we get all your updates? Where's the um, best place to find you?
1: I think the best place to find me is my Instagram handle at Chef Vivek Singh or if you wish to follow the Cinnamon Collection at the Cinnamon Collection.
0: And get yourself down to one of his restaurants. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, guys. Bye. Bye thank you for tuning in. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at crazysexyfood and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time, bye!